I'm going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you. Good morning. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, thank you, Alia. I made her read the longest passage uh, available uh, to me today, uh, but you did a great job. <clears throat> uh, this morning, I will be uh, finishing off the, the Hope for Humorage series uh, only two weeks late. Unfortunately, last time I was rostered on to preach, uh, I was a bit unwell, uh, and so Roscoe was able to cover for me uh, with little to no notice. Um, so thanks, thanks, Ross. Uh, Emily Gash uh, happily pointed out that this makes my stri strike rate for preaching the sermons I'm actually rostered onto uh, only 50% uh, for the year. Uh, two in four, as I had COVID earlier in the year. So she warned me that uh, if today, I, for some reason, I wasn't able to preach, uh, she might accidentally lose my leave application uh, for the end of the year. Uh, so I was motivated to be here today. Uh, but, but in all honesty, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, get to finish off the series uh, that we've, we've had at Humeridge the last month. Uh, it's been a great time of, of reflecting upon the last 140 years uh, of God's faithfulness to this place uh, and the faithfulness of, of his people. Um, I'll, I'll finish off the series um, looking at what it would mean for us to be a, a church and what it has meant for us to be a church built upon uh, the word of God. And as we do so, I, I hope to, to answer the question, why do we read the Bible? 
When it comes to, to questions about the Bible, there's, there's three questions that, that usually uh, come up. How, how reliable is it? How, how do we uh, know that it's accurate? Secondly, the practicality of, of how do I go about it? And third is this question of why? Each of these are, are good questions. Uh, and if you're asking any of these questions, I'm, I'm really happy to point you to some resources that will be able to help. Uh, but the historical reliability of the words that we have in our Bible um, has been well established by, by uh, scholars um, of this day. Uh, they've pointed uh, to the accuracy of the translation uh, completed by teams of Greek and Hebrew and biblical scholars, as well as uh, pointing to the historical accuracy afforded by the, the pool of um, original documents um, that are quite close temporally to, to the events that they record. Historical scholars have also pointed to aspects of the document which support the historicity of eyewitness accounts, especially with regards to the gospel. So in short, I think that we can be pretty confident about the reliability. The second question is, how do we go about it? Um, and Neil is the person to talk to there. I will answer the third question uh, today. The most obvious, and I believe the, the most important question that we ask when it comes to the Bible. It might be the case that, that the words translated are quite accurate, but, but why, why does that matter? Why should we go about reading the Bible? What is my motivation? Why would we care about being a church built upon the words of that book? And that's the question we'll be looking at today. The other week when I was um, doing a bit of prep for this sermon, um, I wandered out and my housemate and his girlfriend were sitting on the couch and they made the, the fatal error of asking me what I'd be preaching on. Uh, 25 minutes later, I apologized for preaching at them. Uh, but in my defense, they did ask. After a moment, <clears throat> Lawson gathered himself and asked me, and I quote, have you always been like this? Uh, to which I, I knew he meant uh, slightly deranged and, and off kilter. But when I, when I reflected on, on what he was actually asking uh, this question, I had to answer honestly, no. For a, long not, for a long time, I didn't really have a reason to read the Bible other than that's because I, I was supposed to do it. That's what, I, that's what I was supposed to do. But I think that the, the real reason is so much better. And I believe it's grounded in what the Bible actually claims to be. It was uh, the reason uh, given by Alia in that very long passage and pointed at by Ariana in communion. It is that the Bible does not claim to be merely history. It does not claim to be a book of inspirational quotes or religious instruction. The Bible itself claims quite clearly to be the very words of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. That, friends, is a big claim, an important claim, and one that is deserving of our attention. So today we're, we're going to look at, look at this question, why read the Bible? And we're going to look at some three, three things as, as we do. Uh, the first thing um, we're going to look at is, is the pull of culture and the inclination of our hearts. The second is why read the Bible for what it claims to be? And third is who it points to and what that means to us. So let's quickly pray uh, and we'll get back into it. Dear Father, um, 
I pray for this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would settle our minds. Lord, you would ward off distraction. Um, and Father, you would prepare us even now for what it is that you've got to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, we'll be looking at uh, 2 Timothy 3. Now, this book is part of what's called the pastoral epistles in the Bible. Letters written by Paul to individuals with a specific purpose. These letters are quite personal and they show deep care for the recipient. <clears throat> Second Timothy is the last letter written by Paul before his death. And it's addressed to Timothy, his, his protege, his trainee in the faith. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, he's called Paul's son in the faith. In this letter, we have the greatest evangelist to the Gentiles passing on the baton. And he's calling Timothy, his beloved friend, to stand firm, to remain true to his calling and continue the work of Christ faithfully. This letter is written to address the challenges that the church was having at the time. In particular, there was the challenge of those among them being led astray by false teachers. People who are using bits and pieces of scripture and mixing them together with myths and genealogies to mislead people. And it is this setting, it is into this setting that we get chapter three. It starts this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. First of all, the last days is a term in scripture used uh, to describe from Jesus' death and resurrection to when he's returning. So it includes the time that, that Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, as well as the time that we live in right now. In those days, people will be lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with, with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. The people that, that Paul is talking about here is, is twofold. He's talking about the, the people who have been led astray by the, the teaching of the false teachers. And secondly, he's talking about the false teachers themselves. People who were claiming to be teachers of God and instead were teaching their own message, who were shown by their conduct and attitude to be false. And Paul says... Avoid such people. Don't be cautious. Don't try and argue with them. Avoid them. For among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sin, led astray by various passions. These false teachers were preying on the vulnerable, those in society of a lower a social standing. The ones that the gospel seeks to free and uplift these people were taken captive by deceitful thoughts and teaching. Verse 7, they were always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Genesis and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as it was with these two men. In verse uh, eight there, Paul likens the false, teacher of, false teachers of his time uh, to the two magicians from the book of Exodus. These, these were two of uh, Pharaoh's men who directly opposed Moses, who was God's chosen messenger. And Paul is quite honestly saying that these false teachers, those using snippets of scripture to support their own whims and desires, 
He likens them to Egyptian mystics who were directly opposing the work of God. But he doesn't say that such men oppose God. He says they're always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. They oppose the truth. And that's the, that's the true difference between the, the two halves of the passage that Ali read out. The, pas- the, the part that we've just read now and the, the next part, it's not talking about these people are bad people and you people are good people and so we like you. The issue here is one acknowledges and submits to the truth and the other does not. It's talking about objective, distinct truth. And friends, we're, we're living in a society today where that is uh, an opinion met with extreme opposition. One of the major views that I've encountered when, when I'm talking to people about the Bible is that they think that the Bible is archaic. It's become culturally irrelevant. We as a culture has, have progressed so far beyond the need of something written 2,000 years ago, so we can pretty much dismiss it. But let's quickly look back at that first list of things again. Because in the last days, people will be lovers of self. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. I don't know about you, but but I can think of a couple people. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Always wanting the next thing, the next job, the next purchase, the next partner who will fill all of their needs. Slanderous, tearing people down behind their backs. Without self-control, not lovers of good, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't know about you guys, but, but I think that Paul could have been writing this letter to the year 2022. For we are a culture which promotes the love of self and one's own desire over and above all else. Ross mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that there was a night earlier this year with um, the, all the young adults from the church coming together to answer some questions. Uh, and the big questions that the, the young adults were asked was, um, what are the problems facing the church today? And what do we need to do about it? These were good questions and a great discussion came out of it. But, but the top issues that came out, as Roscoe preached about a couple of weeks ago, the need for intergenerational. But these other three, The other three that came out was this. There is no agreement on absolute truth in society today. Two, there is a rejection of authority stemming from a love and promotion of self above all else. And the third is the influence of social media. And this is a quote that I stole from the page. Social media is a platform crowded with loud, sometimes violent opinions. People who say they're Christians, but don't reflect Jesus in their actions or comments. They are bad representatives of Christ. And if we place these three, these top three issues identified by the young adults next to the passage of Paul, we see that these things pretty much line up. The rejection of authority and truth stemming from love and promotion of self above all else. The problems facing the church of Ephesus are the same problems facing the church today. The cultural moment has changed. 
Public opinion has swung. Political landscape looks completely different. But the pull of culture is still in the same direction. And it is away from any grasp of absolute truth. And the reason for this, the root of this problem is still the same. And it is the problem of the, the human heart. What we love most. When our love of self is over and above anything else, we do not want to hear or submit to anything that runs counter to that. We do not want to be confronted with an ultimate objective truth because that would require us to, to admit that we are not all powerful, not all knowing, and we might in fact be wrong about something. So like petulant children's hiding, uh, children hiding rather than listening to their parents, we look away, we cover our ears, instead of coming to terms with something that I think all of us has a pretty good idea about. Our hearts seek to justify and diminish, going after things that confirm our natural biases and diminish any sense of objective standards to which we might be accountable. And so what Paul presents at the start of this passage, the, the list of things that Paul presents at the start of the passage is not what a bad person looks like. It's what all people look like without an objective authority to hold them accountable. It shows us the natural inclination of our heart. And even if we are someone who, who submits to this ultimate authority, if, if we're someone who, who believes in God and, and seeks to follow him, we need to hear this just as much as everybody else. Because we need to check ourselves regularly that we're not listening to the natural inclination of our hearts over and above the word of God. Because Paul warns that there will be those who will pander to our desires. There will be false teachers who will proclaim a gospel of self. And that truth has not changed. But as identified by the young person earlier, the accessibility, the volume, and the noise of these false teachers is at an all-time high. On social media, there are those who have the appearance of godliness. The beautiful, those who have their lives put together. They have their finances. Those who sound good, who can turn a phrase like nobody else. Who claim that they have discovered the secret to the good life. We have the fitness influencers, the Insta-famous, and TikTokers giving their steps to success. Every man and his dog has a podcast and is able to spout whatever truth they think is, is worthy. We have scholars and professors whose ideologies are thrust into the mainstream thanks to YouTube. And what's more, many of these are spouting these ideologies and half-truths under the banner of Christianity. So friends, we... We need something to, to help us to stand in the face of that. How do, we, how do we wade through the noise of culture and find a truth upon which to stand? Well, once again, the young adults of this church have identified pretty much what Paul identified 2,000 years ago. When asked what they needed from the church, they said this. They needed to be equipped to share and defend their faith with gentleness, truth, grace, and love. How do we handle this truth? How do we handle this with truth and grace 
How do we respond? What tools can we use? We need to be equipped. Demonstrating an equal balance of truth and grace. We need to have these perfectly woven together. What do we need? We need to be equipped by truth. And Paul presents that that is the word of God. Verse 10, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. Then he goes on to say, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While, every, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I know I preached on this last time, but here it is again. If, if you follow Christ, Paul is saying that you will face persecutions. So not only is there a pull of culture, is there the, the natural inclination of our hearts, but there's going to be opposition as well. No wonder he felt it necessary to encourage people. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and are firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Too much singing last night. Sorry, everybody. The way that that Paul encourages his son in the faith to remain steadfast in the face of everything that points uh, everything else is to point to two main things. First of all, Paul points to his example. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my faith. In verse 14, he continues to say, knowing from whom you have learnt it. The whom here is, is not a singular, but plural, from, from those that you have learnt it. This is where I just want to quickly advocate for, Ros- for what Roscoe was talking about the last few weeks, the importance of being an intergenerator- intergenerational church, where people are, are known and loved by older and younger generations, where they are truly known and truly loved, so that every person, when they read this passage, can have somebody in mind to whom they look to in the face of trial. Men and women of faith who have gone before them and have struggled and have stood firm and have taken ground in the face of challenge. That's number one. Number two, Paul points to the central pillar. The the key weapon in the face of the pull of social weapons, the uh, bent of our heart, the opposition and persecution the central thing that Paul points to is the Bible. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, this is a phrase pointing back to the Old Testament, meaning the messenger, the chosen one of God, may be complete. Equipped for every good work. In the face of all the things that we've talked about today, Paul points to the one thing that we need above all else to stand firm. And that is the word of God. And there, there is more than I can say on this topic today that I would like to have said. Um, but instead, I'm just going to zoom in really quickly on verse 16. Because I, I think this is the focal point of the whole thing. This is where the Bible puts its stake in the ground, where it declares what it is. This is something that we need to think through, wrestle with, and come to a decision about. Because where we land on this topic will influence the rest of the things that we believe about the Bible. Because I believe that the Bible doesn't actually give us any wiggle room in this. It's not claiming here to be nice words of inspiration. 
It's not claiming to be a self-help guide or a religious doctrine. It is not claiming to be a mere work of history, nor theology, nor philosophy. It is claiming to be the very words of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Not some. Not just the words of Jesus in isolation. I've talked to people about this and they said, yeah, but that, that's just the words of Paul. Or that's the, that's the Old Testament. I pretty much just hold, hold what Jesus says and the, the other stuff kind of just informs that. People have taken it further and in the last century there was something called the Jesus Project where they sought to um, rank what they thought Jesus actually said, what he might have said, and what he didn't say. And the problem with this is, is monumental. And that is for two reasons. The first of which is the easiest. Jesus doesn't actually present this as an option. In Matthew 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That is the, the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Until the end of time as we know it, not even the smallest part of it, not even the, the dot above a J, will be disregarded. As we read the Gospels, the, the words of the Old Testament are always on the lips of Jesus. And they, they are treated by him as authoritative and true. Jesus doesn't leave us the option that we talked about before. Secondly, if you snip away at the, the Bible like this, if you uh, look at it and you, you get rid of that, you snip away that because that's not culturally relevant. If, if you snip away at this uh, because, well, if, if I believe this, I'm not sure people would like me. Let's get rid of this because Paul, he's a bit too full on. Uh, let's, let's look at Jesus. Jesus is sometimes full on as well, so let's snip away these things that Jesus says as well. What, what's happening here is often more subtle and, and unthinking than what I've just put out. But if you think about it, what, what you're doing as, as this happens is, is we make ourselves the highest authority. As we cut and paste pieces of the Bible together, we are making a God that looks like us, who, who thinks like us. He is a, a small and controllable God, one that conforms to our will. A God small enough that we can put in our pocket and call upon in times of need. And apart from this lacking, lacking any moral, mental, or religious integrity, it also leads us to worship of a God that is not real. Simone Weil says it like this, one has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility for the faculty of worship is in us. And it is either directed, towards, uh, it's directed somewhere into this world or into another. The thought is here that, that we will all worship something. All people at all times will worship something. And when we cut and paste the Bible together like this, we are not seeking to know or worship God. We end up worshiping something that looks a lot like us. Tim Keller says it like this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. 
And friends, this is not the God that the Bible presents. The God of the Bible is thundering. A God who is bigger than what we can grasp, whose thoughts are so much beyond our thoughts, like an earthworm trying to understand the complexity of a human brain, so much more are we unable to comprehend our God. He is big. He is moving. He is more righteous and holy, more patient and kind than we could imagine. And how do we know this? Well, I believe because he told us. All scripture is breathed out by God. The term here for breathed out by God is a, is a Greek term where Paul's uh, put together uh, the word God and breath. And it's actually thought that this is the first time in all literature that this word uh, appears. And the, the, the line of thinking is that, that Paul needed a term to describe how intimately tied these words are with God himself. And this is something that our, our minds struggle to, to grasp. The term leads us to believe that the 40-odd authors of the Bible who wrote over the span of more or less a thousand years were not writing of their own accord and not of their own wisdom, but rather they were writing uh, the words given to them by God. And as such, they carry the same weight and authority of God himself. This is not something that we should take lightly. Because if we believe what the Bible says, then the God who breathed out the words of the Bible is the same God who by his word spoke the universe into existence. Bringing everything into existence out of nothing because it's easier for him to do that than for God to be a liar. He's the same God who by his breath breathe life into humanity. It is the same God who the Bible says is perfectly embodied by the person of Christ, who by his word healed the sick, by his word gave sight to the blind, by his word he ceased the wind and the waves. It's by his word that he brought people from death to life. It is that same God who breathed out the words of our Bible in its entirety, with the same authority and power as Christ, in his very word, he has revealed who he is. And in his word, he has told us how it is that we should live. And whilst this, this possibility excites and energizes part of us, there's part of us that still kind of wants to hold back a little bit from this. Because anything that is claiming that kind of authority and power can be used and abused. We have seen in history people standing up in front of a cloud claiming that they have the truth. Come follow me. And this has led to devastating outcomes. And so it's, it's natural that we want to hold back a little bit. Why then is the Bible different? I'm very glad you asked. Verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The central message of that book, the truth that every part of the Bible points us towards. The truth of this book is not a doctrine, but a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth of the Bible is God becoming man and then hanging on the cross. God coming in meekness, in gentleness, in humility to be mocked and accused, beaten and scorned, and brutally murdered for the sake of those doing the murdering. Understanding the truth of this book means that it cannot lead to oppression, but only to freedom. As we read the words of this book, we realize that we do not deserve God's love or favor. We cannot be made, of our right, we cannot be made right of our own accord, but we are in desperate need of a savior. And what God in his love and kindness has done is he has met the debt of our sins himself. So instead, whoever believes in him will be given a place of honor, salvation, and adoption as sons and daughters. In the Bible, we, we encounter the gospel of grace, which is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes in him. This is the truth presented by the word of God. I'm going to ask the band uh, to come backstage or come out. But as I do, I'm just going to ask this question again. Why do we read the Bible? Well, I believe in it, we encounter God. We hear his words. And these words are not stagnant or historical. But the writer of Hebrews presents that these are made active and alive by his Holy Spirit. God has not just spoken into history, but he continues to speak to people today. If you want to hear from God, if you want to know what he thinks and what he thinks of you, it's here. It's in his word. He's, he's kindly provided us a copy. And in it, he points to his grace when our hearts condemn us. He points to his steadfastness when the tide of culture shifts. In it, he calls us back when we have wandered, not scorning us, but with a furious love of a father. And in it, he shows us how, we, how to walk in righteousness. In it, God teaches, he reproves, he corrects, and he trains us in righteousness, that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if that is true, then my motivation for reading the Bible can never be so, so small as because I should. No, the motivation for reading the Bible becomes a longing to encounter the God who would die for me. So if you're, if you're new to church and this all seems a bit whack, I apologize. If it seems a bit out there or a bit too much and you're not sure what to do with it, that's really okay. But if you're keen to check out whether this is true, I would just encourage you to, to open up the Bible. Do it, do it by yourself or, or do it with someone you trust. And, and open up in, in the book of John or Ephesians about two-thirds of the way through. And as you read, you might not be sure about this God guy. You might not be sure about prayer, but I encourage you to just ask, God, if you're there and if you're listening, please reveal yourself to me. And then get on with reading. If you've been a Christian for a while and uh, your motivation for reading the Bible has slipped into a should, that's okay. But God today is, is calling you back to, to approach his word with a sense of wonder. 
He's calling you back to, to meet with him in his word, to come to the word expectantly, to pray as you do, God, may I encounter you today? What would you have me do? And that's a prayer that I think God longs to, to answer. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, lots was said, Lord, uh, lots of words, and I pray that what you wanted to say has come through. Lord, I, I ask that uh, wherever we might be, whether we're far away from you, Lord, um, checking you out, or have known you for a while, Lord, that we would come to the, the words of Scripture, Lord, and, and we would be given life. Lord, we would be hearing your voice, hearing your words, Lord, that we would submit to your authority. Father, I thank you so much that you have provided your words. Lord, I thank you so much that each of your words points towards Christ. Lord, our desperate need for him and his sufficiency in all things. Father, I thank you for, for this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.